Now, before we begin this episode, I uh, just want to throw a disclaimer out there that some of the things that we're going to read to you are couched in the language of the time they were written. Uh, some of it may be deemed offensive by today's uh, measure, and some of it may be a little bit gruesome. Uh, so beware. Well, Come and Take It brings you yet another racist, stereotypical story. <laughs> yeah. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Frontier Justice, a wizard with a whip, a scandalous apparition, and a bull tied to murder. Why this week we take another journey into history with more true tales of Texas past. But first, what's your favorite Colt pistol? Well, I like the original, the Colt Patterson. Now, it wasn't pretty, and it didn't often work right, uh, but it had a unique and fascinating look, I've always felt like, and it did set the stage for Colt's greatness, even though they did go bankrupt after they made that, that gun, and then they had to start over again. That's a great pistol, Sean, but let me go with this one, the 1911. And this is the one you might have seen, like, Elliot Ness using in The Untouchables, or it's the... Uh, sort of the traditional automatic. It's uh, still a design carried today, and in fact, it's something that a uh, personal favorite I know of, Aaron, over at the Gun Rights in Texas podcast. If you've seen any World War II movie, or World War One movie, it's the p- pistol that the American officers are carrying um, in the Vietnam movie. Actually, we used it from the first World War all the way up until the 1990s. Actually, my favorite usage of the, that weapon is from the movie The Wild Bunch, which is a Western, but it's set right around 1914. And they are using, uh, they dressed in the original, the first part of the movie, they're dressed in army uh, outfits to rob a bank and they're carrying those pistols and they keep them because they like them. Well, my favorite Colt is Colt Sievers. Um, You may or may not have heard of him. He's kind of unknown. Um, But really, uh, if if you specify Colt pistols, then uh, I'm going to say my favorite is still the, uh, the Walker Colt. Uh, named for Texas Ranger uh, Samuel Walker. Um, it had its problems, but um, it is uh, does have the distinction of being the the most powerful uh, black powder repeating handgun ever made. So mm-hmm. that wins for me. Yep. And it's built upon the Colt Patterson, so they have a shared heritage. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear more of that fascinating history, go back and listen to episode 82, all about Samuel Walker and his amazing gun. In a state like Texas, with its rich and vast history, there are many places to find amazing glimpses into the past. Whether it's through the journals and letters of historic figures and ordinary people, or it's the recorded memories of Texas cattlemen, these primary sources are a window into different points of Texas history. A trip through several Texas newspaper articles tells us some more of these fascinating stories. Life in Frontier, Texas was tough, but the men who lived it were even tougher. This is from the Gonzales Inquirer, Saturday, February 15, 1879. We met in town last week Mr. E.G. McCoy of Blanco City, from whom we learned the following incident which happened near this place in 1843. His father, John McCoy, called Devil John because of his bravery and daring, lived near Concrete in DeWitt County. One of his neighbors was killed and horribly mutilated. Suspicion rested upon a tribe of friendly Lipan Indians in the neighborhood. Mr. McCoy determined to fear out the perpetrators and laid his plans accordingly. 
Coming to Gonzales one day, he met one of the shrewdest Indians of the tribe, furnished him an abundance of fire water, and soon had him drunk. McCoy proposed to go to the tribe and buy hides. Taking the Indian up behind him on his horse, he started for the old Mathis Ford, and when they near the river mentioned that a mean, bad white man had been killed, the Indian replied, quote, Yes, me help kill him, me tomahawk and scalp him, and proceeded to mock the victim's agonies of torture. This was all McCoy wanted. You help kill him, did you, ask McCoy? Yes, me scalp him, said the Indian. Well, said McCoy, I'll settle your hash. Reaching around behind him, he seized the Indian and pulled him off the horse. The Indian had a white, bone-handled bowie knife in his leggings. This McCoy seized and cut off a scalp lock from one side of the Indian's head with a small portion of the skin in hearing and placed it in his belt. He then cut off a similar piece from the other side and placed it in the Indian's belt. This was fair division and significant of friendship. He then released the Indian. As the latter rose, he said to McCoy, Me kill you and your family before three moons. Thereupon, McCoy knocked him down and running the point of his knife, under the skin just below the hair, clear around the Indian's head, jerked his scalp off. Releasing the Indian, McCoy told him to run, telling him that if he caught him before he reached a certain clump of trees, he would kill him. The Indian fled. McCoy mounted his horse and pursued, but the Indian distanced him. News of it got abroad, and McCoy was arrested and brought to trial. The judge asked him, if, <clears throat> the judge asked him if he had not admitted the deed, and McCoy answered, Yes, but now I deny it, and you must prove it. No proof being produced, he was discharged. He then said, Judge, you can't try a man twice for the same offense, can you? Being answered in the negative, he declared, Well, Judge, I did scalp that Indian, but you failed to prove it. Mr. McCoy was half-brother to Jesse McCoy, who was the only man who went out and returned to the Alamo after it was besieged. He fell in that siege. So it's a horrible story. The irony is, is I actually know a guy named John McCoy, so I'm definitely <laughs> going to send this episode to him. Um, from, from that area? No, no, no. He's oh, okay. He, he's not Texan. God oh, bless him. But well. um, I do think, like, you know, it's 18... 18- 79 in newspaper in Gonzales. And this is just, I'm sure this was, this was met with hoops and hollers in the town when they read this awesome yeah. story. Well, I, I'm, I'm confused about the notion that cutting off small pieces of scalp is and hair is uh, significant of friendship. Yeah. I, I, I'm skeptical of the, uh, the stereotypes presented in this. Yeah. Um, although they do say at the beginning that this is a story told by a descendant uh, yeah. of his father. So um, I'm presuming that the uh, Indian dialogue is not directly quoted. Yeah. It's, or uh, at it's, least it, it's secondhand accounting of what yeah. we said. I'm sure in, in his accounting, this is, this was accurate. Yes. But, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, but that said, yeah, I, that said, uh, <laughs> if, if any yeah. of the, whatever part of this tall tale is true. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm sure, like these were these were kind of crazy tough people that lived on the frontier. At the very least, it is illustrative of the notion of double jeopardy back in the 1800s. Yeah, yeah. and I'm not sure that double jeopardy works that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's uh, this is what happens when you're a lawyer and a farmer and a cattleman and a doctor and a dentist <laughs> and a ranger well, I think and a ranger. It's it's definitely emblematic of um, frontier law. Yeah. frontier law and order uh, in the early years of Texas. Um, Blanco, I know where that is down there, central Texas. Yep, yep. This is this is uh, down in Gonzales. 
So I, I do find it interesting that he says, uh, was it one of his neighbors was killed and horribly mutilated? Suspicion rested upon a tribe of friendly Lipan Indians in the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a contradiction. In, yeah, in 1843, there was no such thing as a friendly Indian in, in most people's minds. Perhaps one of the strangest and at the same time most humorous stories of a true tough Texan comes in this story from the Molten Eagle in the 1920s of a mysterious bull tied to murder. The Molten Eagle, April 11th, 1924. To the cowboys who rode the range in West Texas during the 1890s, there was one longhorn steer that was always an object of dread. He was a big white fellow with Murder 1889 branded in huge letters on his left side. His appearance among their herds brought a chill of terror to the superstitious, for this steer was said to have been responsible for the killing of at least nine men, and it was believed that his coming to a ranch invariably meant another tragedy. The steer's sinister history began in January 1889 during a roundup on the Leon Sippa Ranch in Brewster County in a dispute between H.H. H. Powell and Fino Gilliland over the ownership of this steer, then a yearling. Gilliland shot Powell and fled. Thereupon, Powell's cowboys imprinted the gruesome brand upon the steer's hide and turned him loose on the range. A short time later, Jeff Webb, Gilliland's nephew, was killed under mysterious circumstances near the town of Alpine, and Gilliland believed that Sam Taylor, a noted desperado, was responsible for the death. One night, Taylor was playing poker in a saloon in Alpine, when someone fired a load of buckshot through the window, killing him instantly and mortally wounding an Easterner who was sitting in the game. It was in this game that the Cowboys' dead man's hand, aces and eights, originated, for Taylor had just won a pot with those cards, and he fell across the table with them clutched in his hand. But the strangest part of the affair occurred soon afterwards. A big white steer with Murder 1889 branded on his side, was seen near the saloon looking meditatively through the window where the fatal shot had been fired. About six months after Gilliland, pi- about six months after Gilliland killed Powell, he himself was shot down by two Texas Rangers when he arrested. He himself was shot down by two Texas Rangers when he resisted arrest. While the officers were looking over the scene of the battle, a steer walked out of a patch of scrub oak to where Gilliland lay and stood sniffing at his body. As it turned to leave, the rangers saw the brand, Murder 1889, on its side. By some mysterious coincidence, the steer had drifted to this spot, 75 miles from the scene of its branding, and was here as it, and was here at the exact time when Gilliland was killed. After this incident, the big longhorn was seen at many places where crime has been committed, and uninformed Mexicans of the country spread the story that it possessed the spirit of the dead Gilliland. Wow. Well, Come and Take It brings you yet another racist, stereotypical story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is true. Uh, so I find it interesting that the concept of the dead man's hand came from this story, which... Is not, I'd like to see some proof. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see proof of that, especially from the fact that Dead Man's Hand originated from Wild Bill Hickok when he was killed in 1876. Or possibly even earlier than that from, like, old pirates legends and maybe even before that. <sighs> what can you hmm. do? Yeah. Well, 
If you only know. there was a history podcast to clear all this dead man's <laughs> hand stuff up. Somebody needs to start Not the a, history of poker podcast, I guess. Yeah. I'm I'm willing to wager um, that in this the time of this newspaper article. Uh, even in 1924, that there was not a lot of rigorous uh, fact-checking <laughs> on uh, yeah. stories of the, the late 1800s. Yeah. Um, this almost fits into our uh, our Halloween spooky yeah, story theme, you know, with the possessed uh, ghost, you know, possessed steer. I like yeah, the idea of a demon people. cow wandering the cursed. countryside. Yeah, the demon-cursed cow wandering the countryside. That's, that's pretty amazing. It's, it is. A, I mean, again, it's it's yet another story. People people gravitate towards and relish in in these these gruesome stories um, of the past. But I think it is pretty humorous. Of a, it's a it's a steer, it's a steer with murder on its side. That's crazy. Pretty pretty, pretty fun story. Although, know. yes, it is racist. Yes. Well, some people <laughs> would prefer to have murder written on the side of their cows than Bevo. That's <laughs> true. Our next story takes place in Hallettsville, where we find the story of another rough Texan with a very specific set of skills. It's from the Hallettsville Herald, February 6th of 1902. In the early days of Hallettsville, before the whistle of the iron horse was heard, and freighting between this place and Port Lavaca in Houston was engaged in extensively, said Squire Townsend while in a reminiscent mood, there lived a man named Hazel in the northern edge of the county who engaged in the business. Hazel was a big, rough fellow with a streak of humor in his composition and who was one of the most expert men with the bullwhip I ever saw. His power was the pride of his comrade freighters. I remember an incident that happened in Houston which will illustrate Hazel's deft handling of the whip. Hazel had stopped his team of six mules in front of a hotel and was conversing with a friend. A drummer, one of the first of that profession in Texas, hailing from New York, was standing nearby. A big horsefly lit on the ear of a mule leader. Hazel, without moving from his lounging attitude, swung his black snake whip through the air, nipping the fly from the ear with the end of the curling lash without touching the ear. The astonished drummer could not believe but what was an accident, and Hazel offered to wager a dollar that he could pin another fly to the drummer's pants and repeat the trick. The wager was accepted, a fly caught and pinned to the drummer's pants above the knee. Hazel carefully stepped back the requisite distance and balanced his whip. There was a twinkle in his eye, and his friends waited expectantly. Again, the lash swished through the air, and mingled with the pistol-like clap came an agonized yell from the drummer that could have been heard half a mile. The lash made a keen slit in the fellow's pants and flesh like a knife cut. Hazel paid his wager, but contended that he was due another chance as he had slightly miscalculated the distance. Needless to say, the drummer refused. The same Hazel had a voice half bass and half tenor. When speaking, he would start with the bass and then break into a finer tone, which made it sound as if two distinct persons were talking. One evening, just about dark while in Houston, and under the influence of liquor, he went out walking. An abandoned well lay in his path, and it was his luck to fall in. The well was just deep enough to make it impossible to climb out. He yelled for help, and an Irish laborer came along. "'Help me out of here!' called Hazel, his voice breaking from bass to tenor. The Irishman turned away in disgust, saying, Faith there be two of ye. Why the devil don't ye help each other out? 
and left Hazel in his uncomfortable position. That's that's it. That's the end of the story. <laughs> that's the end of the story. How did he get out? Did he get out? <laughs> Is he still there? It's a mystery. It's a mystery, but the Irishman made sure they made sure to have a, a, a comical Irishman in this story. Oh, man. <laughs> we really time. picked the wrong title for this episode. <laughs> Racist tales of oldie time Texas newspapers. <laughs> yep, that's true. Still, it's a very interesting. It's, an, again, an interesting story of a. Well, let me just stop time. you right there. If anybody's ever seen like a real bullwhip and seen what somebody does with a real bull, and somebody says, I'll bet you a dollar I can whip this off of your shoulder, I'd be like, yeah. no. What I think is, I'll give you a dollar not to. I'll give you two dollars to walk away. <laughs> what I think is interesting is that uh, this is the third story that uh, it, it's really a story of a story. So it's a story of someone else's telling of a tale. We're nesting yeah. tales here because we're telling these stories. Yeah. <laughs> But we're presenting them as we read them. We are not embellishing. Yeah, this is just as a this is just as they were written, awkwardly and with stilted stereotypical portrayals of. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm not sure from context when he's talking about a drummer. I'm guessing he just means like some guy showed up like a little drummer boy, in a dusty <laughs> Texas town. Parumpa pum pum. Yes. You know what? In my mind, I'm just picturing Billy Zane in a frilly, like frilly shirt, like stepping off of a stagecoach. A quick trip to uh, the Wikipedia disambiguation page for drummer uh, gives an entry for a meaning uh, for a traveling salesman. Ah, I'm guessing that is correct in this context, as in one who drums up business. Aha! So, so like a uh, what's the hype man? Yeah, hype man, flim flam man, like uh, like the music man. Music man, yeah. Yeah, okay. It's like, hey, I'm not here to sell you stuff, but let me tell you about the mm. stuff that we're going to sell. Monorail. Well, well, there you go. So we have just now educated everyone on some archaic grammar. Oh, my gosh, there yeah. you go. I was, yeah. I was did, really did not, picturing, did not like... sit well was, with me, yeah. I was picturing, <laughs> like I said, Billy Zane from Tombstone, like, hello, come witness me to play my beautiful drum. Yeah. <laughs> I can play no. every song that you might know. It's uh no, it's like uh it's like the character from Stagecoach, the wh- the whiskey salesman. Yeah, there you um, go. You know, could go either way because they don't specify. No, just know that he was one of the first of that profession in Texas. So nice. The last story is an excerpt from the Kuntz News, now a long out of print book published by Heidelberg Publishers in Austin in 1975. Is this a mysterious apparition? Or is there a simpler explanation? This is the story of the Naked Man of Honey Island. Evidently, there had been several sightings of the Naked Man before this excerpt begins. The Honey Island Wild Man story just won't die. The Naked Man was seen a third time, recently this time standing near a creek on the Sour Lake Road. Sheriff A.D. Red Lindsay did not reveal the name of the couple who saw the man. The pair did not care for the publicity. The couple said they were riding in their car along the highway when they saw the nude man standing by a water hole. They said he turned and walked into the woods as soon as he saw he was observed. The sheriff's theory is now that persons who have seen the man saw a naked man all right, but that the man is not wild, but drunk. He believes he might be a character who is in the habit of working in the woods with his axe without any clothes on, while he takes frequent nips from a jug. At a stage of his inebriation, the man forgets where he left his clothes and starts wandering around in search of them. Another theory is that the man might be one who, 
saturated with comic book criminology, is deliberately perpetrating a hoax and is enjoying it. However, the sheriff leans to the other theory. He has known one or two men who worked in the woods naked while they nipped the bottle, but the sheriff does not suspect any definite person. <laughs> and that's comic the book world today. Criminology. I mean, here's the thing. Maybe you're into doing, maybe you're into doing, like, whatever your hobbies, woodworking, knitting, basketball, and maybe you like being naked. But, like, just because you like two things doesn't mean you like doing them at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I I think. Seeing an axe naked, that that takes, that takes some chutzpah. I think it's, uh, it's Jug Hunter. That's what I think it was. Jug Hunter. Getting a little bit uh, bored with just being uh, just haunting people, and he really wanted to, you know, walk around naked. What gets me is I remember when we read the stuff from the um, Trail Drivers books, and mm-hmm. there'd be this interview with this old guy from the late 1870s, and he'd be like, "These kids today, and back in the good old days," and you're like, "No, no, no. The the now that you live in is not the good old days." <laughs> Nor is like 1843. Not good old days. Well, well this and, story and, is from the 70s. <laughs> that's what kills me is like this, yeah. like this is a report of a mysterious apparition of a naked man. <laughs> Probably just some hippie. Yeah, some hippie from Austin coming Somebody in. Got to, drunk and he's wandering around. Got, lo- got lost outside of Beaumont. Wandered, up, wandered all the way up to Coons. That, that's probably what happened. Corrupted in his comic book criminology. <laughs> This sounds like the opening uh, to like a bad Rambo knockoff. <laughs> I want to do a shout out to TexasEscapes.com. All of these uh, excerpts and newspaper reports came from, from stories on the Texas Escapes website. So uh, giving credit to where credit is due, uh, people have done the research to pull these stories. And, and we're, we're reading them to you because I found them all to be particularly fascinating and, and fun. Uh, if you want to see more uh, really great stories about Texas, small town Texas and murder and passion and oddities in Texas, uh, as well as just information about little towns that don't exist anymore, Texas Escapes is really your site. And if you have any crazy, old-timey stories that you think we should see, tweet them to us or shoot us a note on Facebook or shoot us an email on the, on the webpage. Or if you've seen a crazy naked person wandering around in the woods near a watering hole, Call nine one one. Yeah, um, I I actually have some friends that live that that, were, that are from Coons because that's not far from where my wife would be grew up. So I'm I'm gonna have to ask them about this Honey Island Wild Man story. <laughs> Honey Island Wild. <laughs> I I've, I have more faith that there was a murderous bull that is cursed, wandering the countryside <laughs> killing people. Then there's some apparition of a naked dude <laughs> like, on an island somewhere near Orange. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We need to hear from you, so get out there, like us, share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or get yourself to brainstable.com and tell us what you think. You can find our show and many other amazing history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's, although I never post. And I'm Scotticus. You love this show. You love Texas. So tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. 
And if you'd like to support our show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. Thank you.